Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio. This is our two-hour live program that we put on every single week on Sundays to give you guys our facts and analysis of everything that's going on in the world. We're going to do everything from debate coverage, some of the bills that have gone through Congress, some of the crazy dumb things that they're spending your tax dollars on, and, well, what the future of America is going to look like in this weird propagandist hellscape that that we live in. And that's not a bad thing. I know, that sounds really super negative. Um, But it's not negative. It's going to be a... Good. It's going to be one of those happy warrior shows. You know, where you get to make fun of a lot of people because there's so much stupidity and idiocy happening. But also, I will admit, everyone is seeing it. See, this used to be a thing. Alan and I were talking last night when we were doing the show prep call, and one thing that I will say is years ago, it felt like we would have to fight a lot harder to get people to kind of understand what the end result of certain things would be, and that actually is no longer the case. There's a lot of people that have woken up, and we need to kind of take the wins when we have them. But a couple of small stories before we dive into the larger ones. One that uh, you sent along to me this morning, Alan, is the government has funded with uh, PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, a one-acre giant concrete building that's supposed to, quote, capture carbon. Uh, Wow. Yeah, it's supposed to capture carbon. It's a giant concrete edifice that they have built. It takes up an acre of land, and it captures 1,000 tons of carbon, uh, which is the equivalent of 6,000 trees. Yeah. And that's not that many one, trees. One acre of trees is about between four and 40,000 pounds of carbon capture every year. Wow. <laughs> so 1,000 1,000 tons and mm-hmm. between 4 and 40 for an acre of trees tons yeah and, 4 and, and we, 40 tons yeah and we spent how many billions probably millions building this also just understand something government grant going to uh, so, so the environmentalists gave a bunch of money to an energy company right because that's what's happening yep. here, to operate a facility that creates nothing. So it'll consistently, like it's, this is not a profit center. This is not a profit driver. So either it's going to be funded by people having to pay more for their electric bills, or it's going to be funded by the government, which means people will have to pay more in their taxes to, quote, remove carbon. This sounds like a money laundering scheme. Certainly does. No. Much like a lot of climate change nonsense. Remember the big scandal with Solyndra that was going to make all this beautiful big solar technology. Hooray! And then it turned into garbage. Turns out it, the whole time it was just a money laundering scheme. Yeah, it just was, it just went bankrupt, but people made millions of dollars, so it didn't really matter. At the same time, remember carbon credits. You know, carbon yeah. credits were this thing that you could like buy and sell, it, like became this weird currency. <laughs> I mean, uh, say what you will and whether you like him or not, that's how Elon Musk got a bunch of money. Was he opened yeah, up, he opened up an electric the, car company? Right. That was the that's the way Tesla makes money. Tesla takes a loss on every car, but they are able to make plenty of money because they basically sell carbon credits, and that's their. 
that's the business model. Yeah, and I mean, you can't really fault somebody for it necessarily if it wasn't something that was likely coming out of all of our taxes. Right. But hey, it is what it is. So that's hilarious. The climate people, but they it's it's okay though. Um, because if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, let me double check and make sure I, I, I get this right on your, um, on your message here. They were very excited. Oh yeah. Because Jennifer Granholm, the secretary of energy, who also, by the way, uh, was the former governor of Michigan, uh, came out and, uh, she was very excited by this. This is the same secretary of energy that just couldn't understand why people couldn't just buy an electric car and said it right. was a good thing, uh, that, uh, gas prices were so high because it would encourage people to buy electric cars. What could possibly oh, go wrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, if a Republican energy secretary said anything that would drive up the profit margins of an electric company, uh, they would be run out of town. Um, but, you know, a Democrat does it and they just say climate in front of it. So everything's just fine. Convenient. Yeah. These people are garbage. <laughs> it's just, um, <laughs> I love it so much. Well, and again, it's just we're, if you look, it's we're going to spend millions of dollars to build this giant plant that is only whose only job is to remove carbon from mm -hmm. the air. But at the same time, you look at that plant requires a bunch of energy to run. Oh yeah. It doesn't just do this for free. It requires a bunch of energy to actually pull the carbon out and do all this. And where's the energy going to come from? Well, yeah. renewable then of course in the article, they say, well, renewable sources mm -hmm. like, California already doesn't have enough energy to run air conditioners during the summer. Right. So they're suddenly going to find a bunch of more renewable. Well, we just if we just build more renewables, just the the reason it's not working is we're not trying hard enough. Sure, we're shutting down nuclear plants in California and all of these other things. Like, but trust me, we'll just build enough solar panels again, which requires a whole bunch of uh, energy input that you don't necessarily have. It, the whole thing is a giant efficiency boondoggle. Yeah. Like, let's make everything less efficient and this giant drain on resources. And then that allows us to question mark, question mark, profit. I just... Very so, silly. It's funny because I'm I'm actually a huge fan of renewable energy. Not from a, you know, a dumb climate change perspective. I'm a big fan yeah. of it because of the independence that it could allow people. But the technology is just 100% not there. Um, sure. As somebody who's looked at things like, you know, uh, solar panels for stuff like homesteading, the constant lie is, well, you can just put solar panels on your home and then you could even put energy back on the grid and get paid for it. Now, that's technically true. You could do that. Um, but the way that your home is operating right now and then you add solar panels, you cannot operate your home as it is right now and be putting energy back on the grid. It's entirely unlikely. Right. What people do not understand is when you, if you want to go to a completely, uh, you know, uh, solar powered home, you are going to have to make sacrifices. You're not going to be able to run everything that you're running right now. You're going to have to choose whether or not the air conditioning comes on in the summer. You're going to have to choose whether or not the heat comes on and, you know, all these other things. And that's, I, I think that that's totally fine, but everyone's so dishonest about it. They, the, the, uh, 
the climate warriors out there pretend like the only reason why we don't have a bunch of uh, homes powered by solar right now is because of these people are just too lazy and too greedy. They just don't want to do it. And the reality is, is I think I did the calculation and it, I would have to put, and maybe I'm wrong about this and it was, it was quick. I didn't like study it, but I think it was 200 solar panels would have to go up on my house to meet the current energy demand. And like, I don't have a huge energy demand in my house, <laughs> but it's like, sure. you know, it, it's, some, it's enough. It, yeah. It, I mean, it's enough, right? Like we have, we have computers, I've got two kids, you know, we have televisions, you know, all, like all this stuff. It was something insane like that. And I was like, this can't make sense. People make it sound like I could. And when I talked to somebody who installs these things, he was like, oh, well, no, what, what we would do is we would put panels on the south side of your house and it would power stuff like your water heater. And maybe your maybe your air conditioner, but it really depends on how big your air conditioner is. And I was like, "Are you shitting me? <laughs> you want me to pay twenty thousand dollars to power my water heater? Like, I'm pretty sure I could do that with a car battery." Yeah, <laughs> like, I can just buy car batteries and throw them out. Which, by the way, is pretty much uh, environmentally the same as buying solar panels. When those things wear out, they're about as toxic, if not more, than a car battery. That is true, and that is kind of the. At least to me, that's one of the most damning things about solar, especially, is it's just the there's the efficiency of it as a net, uh, as, as sort of a net thing. Mm -hmm. like, there's a bunch of energy that has to go into building the panels. A lot of them are made in China, which means you're adding more energy in to get them shipped over here. And at the end of the day, the amount of energy you get out for the lifetime of a panel doesn't seem doesn't seem worth it unless you're have some moderating thing like I live in the middle of nowhere and can't connect to the grid. Right. Or I don't want to connect to the grid. And that's all fine. It's just the idea that it is somehow efficient or a good use of resources to do this on a large scale for population centers. That is absolutely nonsense. There's definitely there's no case I think you could make that that's a good idea. Like solar panels absolutely are very ill-suited to being the baseline load to essentially to supply the baseline load for anywhere it just doesn't make sense to bad it's inefficient to do it that way now it's yeah the whole thing is it's ridiculous but it's also un, like completely unsurprising i did just realize i didn't, i never opened up the rumble chat and so i should probably do that oh, um, probably you know, should, I, I, I want to open and so we're probably going to get some crosstalk real quick i did just realize See? i did. There it well is. don't do that uh, <laughs> i'm so bad um so anyway um <clears throat> interestingly yeah so a lot of stuff went on this week it was a very big week um yeah so yeah i'm just trying to look here um for some reason there's a comment uh, uh i don't know why but colleen is uh typing fund ukraine and i have no idea what that means um unless it literally means fund ukraine that's a little weird but uh pass yeah pass hard pass uh at least saying, at least now when I question funding to Ukraine, I'm not called an anti-Semite. So I guess that's good. Um, <laughs> no, that's true. Now, um, oh, money laundering. <laughs> that's that, that was the reference. All right. I'm a little slow this morning. Um, 
<laughs> different ways of you know money laundering. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> so it's been an interesting week and a lot going on. We had the third GOP debate, which um, for for all of you out there in the listening audience, uh, I went through the polls, so you don't have to. Um, I can tell you right now, Politico's preferred uh, performer at the GOP debate was Nikki Haley, except for the one standout who thought that Chris Christie had a great night. So if you want an idea who the liberals really like, it appears to be Nikki Haley and Chris Christie. They all think that uh, ah. that those two had a really good night. Uh, the reality is, is who had a really good night on uh, the GOP debate night? Uh, literally anyone else, because nobody watched the damn thing. Now, that's not to say that there was, I don't think there was necessarily a massive audience that watched the Trump rally either. Um, now, I, I, it's probably a bigger audience for the Trump rally. I don't actually know those numbers. But at the end of the day, I think that the uh, voting public, for the most part, is kind of over the primary. Mostly when you look at polls right now that are showing Trump sitting at like 63%. It's just pointless. Um, yeah. now I, uh, yeah. Colleen saying the vague was pretty care? bomb. Yeah. To give you an idea. So right now we have a comment here from Colleen on our chat saying the vague was pretty, was pretty bomb. This okay. is an opinion that I've seen from a lot of people, but interestingly, it was not an opinion that translated to people who did the poll that watched the GOP debate. The reason why I want to point that out is that shows the divergence between the voters that would watch a GOP debate on a Wednesday and everyone else. And it was yeah. a small audience. And it was, what was it? Was it NBC? I think like Lester Holt was how, like it was the weirdest thing. Like the Republican Party's like, hey, who should we get to host this debate? Well, why don't we have a bunch of liberals that hate us? Um, shock that nobody watched it. And Vivek actually said that. Why would anyone watch this debate? Why was why would anyone watch a debate moderated moderated by these two liberals? So he he made some really fun points as he is wont to do. To, regardless of how people feel about Vivek Ramaswamy, he knows how to. He is the one person that is translating things that my generation, basically the non-boomer. Actually, I don't want to say my generation. The not boomers care about which i think are going to be the big um deciding factor within this next election because there's just a lot more political activity coming from basically uh people that normally wouldn't be focused on uh being like mid 40s and down and that's not like kids i'm not saying like oh the young the youth are gonna decide this election they say that every election and it never actually happens um right but there's and we're gonna get a little bit more into this when we talk about the election on tuesday but like there is a very direct separation between the republican party and its strategy and its talking points and the actual voters, especially the active voices. And that's a very big thing that needs to be focused on. And it was something that kind of Alan and I got, got into last night, which is there are a very vocal people because social media exists. There are very vocal people on places like Twitter and uh, even on TikTok and Instagram and all of these other areas, but mostly think about alternative media, podcasts, YouTube, uh, and a lot of this that are that are talking about issues. 
uh, think like Joe Rogan has the biggest podcast, right? He talks mm-hmm. about things that Republicans don't get into. And in fact, Democrats don't either. But he has the largest audience of people who listen to podcasts. So he sure. is a, he is a media influencer. Or you look at Tucker Carlson, especially now that he's moved over uh, to Twitter to kind of do his show. He He's pushing this envelope and these discussions, but it's not being captured by any of these politicians. And it's fascinating because one of the biggest differences that exists in the right wing versus the left wing is the left wing gets fed their opinion. Um, in fact, this is provable when you uh, look at it. It's actually really a very interesting, I don't want to dive too much into it, but a very interesting thing that has come out of like a lot of these pro-Palestinian protests is how many people that are interviewed at these protests don't actually know that anything happened on October 7th. They're actually not aware of the attack that happened on Israel. And I can prove that that's because there's a lot of people that say like, well, this person's probably just lying so they don't want to talk about it. I can actually prove sure. that that's true because there's been multiple people in my own personal life that don't know that it happened because like, are they watching the news? No. Are, you know, like how would they get that information? How would anyone know that anything huh. was happening in Israel? You would have to watch the news. You would have to be like reading the New York times and like, st- nobody does these things anymore. And unless you're following people on social media that want to talk about the news, you're never going to see it. And why would you? And I don't think that that's a bad thing. It's just it is what it is. People don't don't pay attention to that shit unless it's unless for whatever reason within their you know that's uh, the thing that you have to understand about social media. Social media is not its own. Social media is not its own um, ecosystem. It is a series of tiny ecosystems. It's your the people you follow. And the people you interact with and the people that the um, algorithm thinks that you would be interested in. That is your own little ecosystem. It's not a giant ecosystem. So even even though like on Twitter, something might be trending, that doesn't mean you're going to see it. Because why would you? How many times I don't really look at the trending thing. That's a common thing that podcast hosts are supposed to do. I'm supposed to like look at trending on Twitter and then immediately be like, oh, I have to talk about that. That's important. Um, I don't do that because I think it's stupid. Um but anytime I do, I have to be like, why is anyone talking about this? And I'll have to click on it and look at the most recent you know, discussions because it never shows up in my feed. Mostly sure. because the people I follow and the people who follow me don't give a shit about whatever that is that's trending. <laughs> like, who, like huh. who cares? But just understand for a quick second, that's how that works. But it also shows that, yeah. like, think about it. This was one of the biggest discussions that was happening at the GOP debate was foreign policy, which is fine. Right. I, I think it's a very important thing to discuss. But how yeah. many people actually know what the hell's going on? There's probably a lot of adults, let's be honest, um, and a little bit more engaged people that understand that something's happening in Israel. I'm not saying that, like, the Palestinian I, I, protester people may not know, but, like, they're off in Reddit land or whatever on crazy yeah. shitlib area. Fine. I guess I'd be mm-hmm. shocked if people, if anyone didn't know that there had been an attack in Israel, especially if you were out protesting. I feel you would have at least picked up that much. But it seems to be a common thing, and it's not surprising to me because think about how lied to these people well, were on everything else. So what, 
What, uh, what have you seen that leads you to believe that people were unaware that there was of the October 7th attacks? There's a bunch of collections of like man on the street interviews that have happened during these protests where people are asking like, why are you standing for Palestine? But what about like what happened on October 7th? And there's a couple of really popular ones, but they're very common where people are like, I don't, what do you mean? Like, well, what, what's going on? Like, what about the attack against Israel? What, well, the attack's happening because of, because of, uh, um, the attacks against Israel are happening because they're going into Gaza. And they're like, well, no, like when, when Hamas attacked Israel, they're like, what do you mean? Like, there's just a lot of people that just do not understand that. And honestly, I could see that being a thing. If you sat on, think of, think of the George Floyd situation. Those people yeah. never saw any of the pushback. Like, right. I, they, but I feel mm -hmm. like many of them would have been like, yeah, well, there was a guy named George Floyd that died. That's why we were protesting. Well, right. They might they, not know the details of the arrest, but I feel like it'd be, it yeah. just seems insane to me that you would be out protesting for, in support of Palestine and not know that the events of October 7th even happened. Unless the, unless the globalists just wanted, yeah, unless the globalists really have a really good propaganda arm that just says Israel's rolling into Gaza suddenly for no reason ever. Because people. Yeah, no, but, they, mm -hmm. but the thing is that it's justified by the October 7th attacks. It's been all over like every news channel. I guess mm -hmm. I'd just be shocked that you, that you wouldn't hear about that. Like I, the, the globalists use, are using the October 7th attack as a reason to push. You know, we need to stop anti-Semitism. We need to increase Muslim immigration to Europe. Like it's. Oh no no! I think enough um, of those outlets are covering it. I I think that the uh, see I, I think that this is the disparity, Alan. I think the globalists want people on the right wing to go along with what they want due to the attack on October seventh. I think the globalists want the left wing to do what they want. Um by not telling them about that and saying that Israel's rolling into Palestine for no reason at all. Oh, that's uh, interesting. That's, that's not my, that was, has not been my analysis, but you've been seeing more of this than I have, I guess. Yeah. I just, I, you know, it doesn't matter. Like I said, we don't need to get into a whole thing on it. It's just that there are people that have apparently have no idea, which, okay, sure, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are microcosms of information that exist and not all of that. Like we may think that everybody knows the thing we know and they don't. And this has been provable across so many different situations where people somehow don't know shit. Like, how do you not know that? Like, how do you not? The George Floyd example was, how do you not know that this guy was like blown out of his mind on fentanyl? Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you not know that the first that the forensic evidence of the Michael Brown police shooting yep. was that he was shot at extremely close range from inside the squad car? Like, the, all of the details yep. like that intentionally get hidden so that the official mainstream media narrative doesn't have to change. Right now, and uh, like uh, like Colleen saying here is uh, people are watching cat videos on TikTok, not news. Yeah, I mean that's. It's kind of 100% it. But well, true. But the yeah, and then some suddenly somebody comes up and says you know, the Jews are being mean to Palestine. Let's go protest and they go, "Fuck yeah, let's go." You know, <laughs> that's probably a lot of it too. But then again, to be fair, um a lot of the people that are protesting are, you know, the ones that got imported here 
by Jewish NGO groups because they wanted them out of uh, Palestine. Uh, so they yeah. sent them to the West. And now those same groups are like, oh, God, my poor kid is very scared to go to school because a bunch of Palestinians live in my country because groups that I funded imported them here. Right. Gosh, this bet I made super uncomfortable. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, it's like like everything. The the, the answer to any of this is we should just if we just force people to think the way that I want them to think, then none of this is a problem. (laughs) Well, okay. It's the same as being like, all these people are upset that we've basically taken over their country and destroyed the United States. It's white supremacy's fault. You're like, uh, <laughs> maybe all these people wouldn't be, like, looking at white supremacy if you weren't. Maybe all these people wouldn't be increasingly sympathetic to the ideas of white nationalism if you weren't intentionally going out of your way to demonize and hate white people. Yeah. Yeah, like it's 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 fantastic because it's just one of those. Yeah, none of this would have been my problem if you would have been listening. Like, yeah. I, I'm I'm sorry. Like, and actually, I will touch on this. So, it was it was an, a, an amazing thing. Uh, the former um, governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, decided mm-hmm. to comment on a video that was going around where a bunch of pro-Palestinian protesters were ripping down American flags um, on streets in New York. And this was obviously just so terrible. Now, granted, those American flags were put up because it was Veterans Day, right? Uh, Yesterday was Veterans Day. And that's why the bunch of American flags were hanging out there in celebration of Veterans Day. But that wasn't Andrew Cuomo's concern. Andrew Cuomo's concern was Jews most affected, we don't want that. How awful must this be for the Jews, as they say? Now, I'm not, I'm not specifically railing against the Jews themselves, but they are, by a large majority, progressives, and a lot of them do engage in political activism to include to include the activism of places like Black Lives Matter, who set fire to the American flag, and uh, you know, stomped all over it. So I feel like they don't actually like. Why are they affected? Do do they identify with the American flag? If they were burning an Israeli flag, I could see how a lot of New York Jews would be very upset by this. Um, but they were ripping down the American flag on Veterans Day. That is something that affects you know veterans. It should affect everybody. But I mean, leftist protesters ripping down American flags is normal and was supported by a lot of these people. I mean, it's New York City for Christ's sake. It's it's a giant blue city. Why does why would any Democrat be suddenly upset by an American flag being ripped down by a black clad liberal protester? That's a good point. Make it make sense. Yeah. Like that, that's that's been every day in this country for six years. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Giant protest by the like people who look exactly the same as the people who were always fucking protesting and saying the same shit that all, they always say while they're protesting. But suddenly now there's Democrats that are like, "Oh God, maybe we should stop this." But it's not because it's affecting you. It's not because it's affecting Americans. Mm. How amazing is that? and everybody sees this. That's why I want to bring it up. Everybody sees this, but then you get these tepid, lame responses. 
from the GOP debate because there's this divergence, because these people don't actually understand the majority of the American experience anymore. So you have people like Nikki Haley who goes out there and tries to pull this like girl boss, tough girl nonsense where she's like, our foreign policy needs to be like the beacon of the world. It's amazing. Sorry. It's amazing because in her introduction, in the GOP debate, she complained because they wanted they wanted them to do a comparison against Donald Trump. And she complained about how much money Donald Trump spent, which oh, no. is a legitimate complaint. Like, sure, complain about that. But then she talked about how we need to fucking support Israel and Ukraine. And, and really, we need to be going against Iran. There's zero way you're going to spend less than Donald Trump with that foreign policy. Zero way. So it's all a lie. And idiot boomer cons who remember the 2000s as being this orgasmic period are going to like cheer it on like like trained seals because they're stupid. See, I and I don't know how many of those people there are left. They're dying in droves on the right. Anybody that exists on the right. Anybody that supported Trump. Mm hmm. The vast majority have to be very skeptical about what's going on with the government right now. Right, right, right. I think a lot of them probably, well, I know the disastrous pullout from Afghanistan affected a lot of people, like you talk about boomers. I think a lot of people that were better baby boomers in that age group were very upset by the way the Afghan pullout went. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure how well the... A, a, a continually belligerent foreign policy is going to translate to them. I think, I think that things are, are changing in, in that regard. There's a fun statistic that the United States has not won a single war since Tupperware was created. <laughs> um, uh, now, to be fair... One thing I will I will defend my late father on this is that um, the boots on the ground do a very good job of prosecuting combat. It is the politicians that lose these wars every time. Um, yeah. Now, granted, if we had the ROE that Israel had, we would have done fucking great in Afghanistan. But if I shot a guy for throwing rocks at a checkpoint, I would have gone to jail. But it's okay True. because Israel, for some reason. I mean, the, the Taliban were terrorists, too, and they attacked America but I wasn't allowed to have the ROE that um, Israel has. Right. And that's your the people justifying that ROE would have um, would have screamed until, you know, blood came out of their mouths that I should go to jail because I killed a poor defenseless brown person. So no, interesting. You can't have that. Yeah. Too, super bitter about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, back to the GOP <laughs> debate. So it, it was interesting just because, like I said, 63% for Donald Trump. Like these debates are silly. And don't, don't get me wrong. Like I actually think that there are decent people involved in these debates. I don't think everybody like, let, let's step away a little bit from some of the conspiracies. I don't think every single candidate on that stage is somehow like some deep state plant just to unseat Trump. I think that that's a dumb, cowardly, and gay approach to look at everything. Like, Donald Trump should be able to stand on his own two feet when it comes to policy. He doesn't need a conspiracy every time somebody challenges him. I think it's weak. And it's one of the things that I don't like about like Trumpism 
which is that he cannot be challenged. Similarly, though, um, you know, you have people like Ron DeSantis, where let's be honest here, um, at least on the social media front, those people don't think that Ron DeSantis is allowed to be challenged either. And for those of you who've been following on the Discord, which is one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up, uh, there was a lot of discussion this week that we had, um, primarily because uh, post the Tuesday election, um, there was a, you know, the comparisons had to start. The Ron DeSantis people and the Trump people basically fought for whose fault it was that Republicans lost their ass on Tuesday. Um, and it was so annoying because none of it was going to be getting to a solution at all. These people don't care about a solution. Um, they care about pushing their candidate and for dumb reasons. Right. But it's also it's also a massive cope. And the people the people who win right now <coughs> in the current primary environment are people like Ronna Romney McDaniel, the chair of the RNC, and are people like, like the consultants for the RNC who made millions of dollars on these losses on Tuesday. And the GOP debate ties exactly into that because the statements that were being made, basically Vivek Ramaswamy is the only person who seems like he understands what to talk about, whether he's full of shit or not. I've heard people say that he is. It's just a bunch of nonsense. What It doesn't matter. His communication strategy is good. And I said this months ago that... Anybody who wants to be successful in this um, campaign against Donald Trump needs to look at how Vivek is communicating and grab that. If Ron DeSantis talked about the issues that Vivek Ramaswamy talks about in his Ron DeSantis way, he would be doing far better in the polls. I guarantee it. He's not, mm. but he would be doing far better in the polls because he would be able to clean it up. He's a known entity with a good record. And he would appeal to a lot of the younger generation, which, by the way, is super vocal on social media and super vocal in their daily lives. Whereas boomers are not these neocons that Nikki Haley is, you know, uh, exciting, aren't going to go talk to their friends about this stuff because they're used to hiding because they used to have to hide. They're not part of the social media generation that elected Trump in 2016. Boomer cons lost their quotey fingers, lost their election in 2016 because they did nothing to win it. That was all a younger generation of people that were excited by Donald Trump because he was saying shit they cared about. And it got so much activity that it couldn't not be talked about. He was made a household name. His policies were known to everyone because of all the infighting on social media and all of that stuff. The media had to cover it because it was mimetic and it was just out there and it was trending. That's not going to happen ever for Nikki Haley because her voting base that she appeals to doesn't grab a megaphone and scream it. And they never will. Vivek does. He has people on the internet and in regular life that hear this stuff, they get excited, and they want to tell everybody about it. That is this generation of people that really needs to be appealed to, or the Republican Party is going to die on the vine. And like yeah, I said, yeah. I'm not talking about Vivek as a person. He knows how to communicate. Maybe he's a good candidate. Maybe he's not. I just haven't done a huge amount of research on him because he's just not polling well enough for me to spend the time. But what he is talking about needs to absolutely translate into any of the candidates to include Donald Trump. 
Donald Trump needs to be looking at this guy and going, because there's policy there that he could be crafting. He can't run on 2016. That's over. That was forever ago. It doesn't matter. The world's different now. Because I would love to see Trump communicate Vivek's foreign policy. I want to act like Trump would have the same foreign policy, but that's necessarily not true. Right. You know, I, I think I think one thing about Vivek that strikes me that probably strikes a lot of people is that he doesn't seem like an establishment candidate. Doesn't seem it's like you think Nikki Haley and some of these other people. It's very difficult for me to look at them and think that they actually have the interests of America at heart, not the interest, not the interests of special interests. Well, I mean, I think Nikki of, Haley I owns a defense con- defense contracting company. <laughs> Exactly. And so I see I see Vivek and like listen to what he has to say. And I think this sounds like someone that's not essentially controlled opposition. You look at Nikki Haley and you go, this person absolutely is just towing some sort of party line here and is just going to rehash the exact same establishment policies that I voted when I voted for Trump the first time. I was like, I don't like the way the country's going, so Mm -hmm. I'm gonna vote to oppose where it's going. Why would I vote for Nikki Haley? Why would that be at all compelling to me? Especially after COVID, after watching what they did to Trump. Oh, yeah. I just feel that it would be absolutely insane to think that I wouldn't be, that I would be voting for, you know what would be great? Let's just go back to more of the same. Let's go back to the George W. Bush era politics. That's that's the direction the Republican Party needs to go. Yeah, what, what could go wrong? <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. <coughs> you know, it's it's progressive with, progressivism with breaks. Um, no, so, uh, so that was interesting. The debate, like, we don't really need to dive into it. We're not going to do any audio from it because I like this audience and I don't want to hurt them, um, (laughs) because it is physically painful. Um, but just, just so you guys know, uh, there in the, God, what was the tweet? I'm sorry. There, there's just the, the girl boss garbage from Nikki Haley is so fucking painful like Mm -hmm. look you're a woman i get it that's fantastic um we all agreed i don't know uh i don't know about you all out there but i thought we all agreed that the whole diversity hiring thing was nonsense and we we shouldn't do it uh but apparently i'm i'm wrong so there was a comment um from vivek attacking both ron DeSantis and nikki haley uh and he called both of them uh dick cheney in six inch heels that's pretty funny so you get it it's a, it's a joke because ron DeSantis wears cowboy boots which i think is stupid but the DeSantis people get all upset about it so it's a good attack i hate to say it um yeah i, I agree he shouldn't be wearing cowboy boots it's i will fight you I like my cowboy yeah. boots. I know you do. <laughs> you go to hell. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> now it's personal. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Nikki Haley's response was, Vivek, I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. The mm-hmm. fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, what does that mean? They're for ammunition? You can't fit ammunition in heels. That's a terrible place to put it. Are the heels the ammunition? I guess. Like, like, is it so you can, like, hit people? That's what I'm confused by. 
Yeah, it's very strange. What a strange, it's a dumb thing to say. Oh, and by the way, they are a fashion statement. You know how I know? Heels are painful and women are stupid for wearing them. <laughs> yeah, I, again, I, just, I, I don't, it's hard for me to take Nikki Haley seriously mm -hmm. because I feel like she sold her soul to the devil and is now just sort of saying whatever she needs to say to appease her masters. And so it's kind of, kind of just disregard a lot of these people. I mean, maybe when we get to the election, they'll seem a lot more serious, but it just, I can't imagine that Nikki Haley is seriously being looked at as any kind of real presidential contender. Well, for me, the part that I can't get over is if she's going to run on the I have a vagina um, talking point, then she really should start referring to herself in a three-letter um, three-letter name, you know, just like KGP, Kareem Jean-Pierre, or RGB, or uh, KGB, which was Katani Brown, or KBJ, Katani Brown-Jackson, because she's running the exact campaign that all those liberals did. Right. Remember, Katanji Brown-Jackson, you know, first first black female, uh, and then um, Kareem Jean-Pierre was the first black gay female uh, press secretary in RGB, Trust. you know, all this other shit. So she needs to be NNH, you know, she, she has to, cause she's using the exact same thing that like, that's the weirdest part is like, you're going for the diversity higher vote in the Republican party. Okay. Like amazingly, yeah, Tim Scott, surprising. who is black has barely talked about the fact that he's black. So to his credit, he hasn't tried to use his race, um, you know, it hasn't tried to use his immutable characteristics as some sort of qualifier for what makes him, you know, uh, qualified for the job. So at least he hasn't gone for the diversity hire. I mean, he gets accused of being a token, you know, black guy, but at least he's not out there like Nikki Haley, like I'm a girl boss. Mm. Like, dude, who the fuck wants that? Yeah, there does seem to be this very big divide between at least what I would imagine Republican voters want to see and what they're being given by the Republican Party. <laughs> it seems it seems like if I was running the Republican Party, I would look at this and go, okay, well, what do people want? They want Trump and Trump-like policies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everybody should be aligning more towards that to cater to their, their base. Yeah. And I see a lot of it is this attempt, it seems, to essentially distract their base and say, no, no, you don't want all those things. <laughs> you want money for Israel and foreign wars and compromises with the Democrats on guns and everything else you hold dear. That's what you guys really want. If you just shut up and accepted it, we'd all be in much better place. Well, and, and what we're doing, you know, kind of using that to pivot into um, what happened on Tuesday. Uh, I have a perspective and, it, and it's interesting. I think that the Republican Party is going through growing pains. I think that that's completely on uh, to be completely honest i think that that is um what actually happened on tuesday this is my postmortem which is a better postmortem than you'll get from anybody else uh because i'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a fucking genius no um <laughs> is years ago there was the tea party and i think that that shocked the republican party to its core because there were a bunch of voters and i i remember this actually i i specifically remember it being kind of one of the strangest things is I wasn't like super politically active at the time. Um, but I was listening to like Rush Limbaugh, you know, I liked listening to Rush Limbaugh and I thought it was the weirdest thing because the tea party happened 
And I was hearing, for the most part, if you tuned into Rush Limbaugh, he was just berating the Republican Party at that time. I mean, he was going after like John Boehner and, and, and people like yeah. that. And it was just this massive disappointment in the Republican Party. Um, and that was like the foundations of the Tea Party. You started seeing like the a- Andrew Breitbart would be out there um, castigating Republican Congress members for their votes and for things that they're doing. And why is the debt this way? And how come you voted on this thing? And you just started seeing this huge amount of accountability and this kind of like wake up that had occurred. Um, and, and a lot yeah. of it was because there was the, you know, you had uh, Barack Obama got elected. Everybody saw that happen. And then you had a lot of voters that were like, okay, but you know, Republicans in Congress, you guys are going to manage to make sure that this guy who's almost openly a communist, not get all the things he wants. And then we didn't see any real fight come out of uh, the Republican party and people got pissed because they saw like Obamacare get passed. They saw all this other stuff happen. And a lot of people went, what the, what the hell's going on in this party? And so there was this huge push for accountability. And that was the Tea Party. Like the, the Tea Party was this massive voter accountability uh, that came against the GOP. And the GOP panicked about it. And of course, there's a lot of time where you look at it and it looks like they kind of co-opted it and then they ran with it. But there were candidates that got elected on those messages. And a lot of those candidates are still very well liked. In the in the voting base of the GOP, Jim Jordan, um, Thomas Massey, even Ted Cruz, these were Tea Party candidates. And I want to remind everybody, like I know Ted Cruz is really popular, so a lot of people look at him and say, "Well, he might be establishment," and that accusation's okay. Um, it's okay to make that accusation against anybody. You should always assume their establishment until they prove you wrong. But remember. In 2016, when we were going through the same primary process, everybody thought it was going to be a, a a battle between Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush. And then Ted Cruz won the Iowa caucus. And then Donald Trump won the New Hampshire primary. And everybody went, oh, God, what's about to happen? Because it was basically the two not-establishment guys. Right. And so... You know, so that was 2016 and Donald Trump won. So what's happening here is you have this massive decades old Republican establishment that was really like the Bush family. I mean, think about Jeb Bush. I just said Jeb Bush was like one of the presumed people, right? You have like the Bush family and you have like the Karl Rove and like all of these people from the early 2000s. That instantiated basically neoconservatism. Yeah, I kind of think when mm -hmm. the GOP presented Jeb Bush for election, that's when people should have recognized the GOP was not fit for for purpose. Like that seemed like such a terrible, terrible idea that was never going to work that I'm shocked anyone in the GOP even seriously considered it. (coughs) Right. And, um, well, HD Cynical on our chat here is, you know, saying like Trump didn't create MAGA. He picked up the Tea Party banner from the yeah. dirt and made it his statement. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And it's exactly what voters want. And the problem is, is that you have this monolithic old establishment party 
that doesn't listen to the voters. They listen to the consultants. They go to places like McKinsey and Company or, you know, Ernst and Young or whoever the hell their consulting firm is. And they ask them, well, what should we do? And they go, well, our polling here in Washington, D.C., you know, I was sitting at Morton's Steakhouse and I was talking to some people and your biggest donors and they think, and that's the problem is, mm -hmm. you know, it, and, and it's, it's this amazing thing because it makes sense when you think about it, like, oh, the Republican party listens to the donors because those are the people that give them the money, right? And you need the money sure. to run. But what happens when the RNC doesn't spend the money effectively, which is what happened on Tuesday? So real quick, I'll dive into what happened on Tuesday so people understand. Number one, um, the Kentucky governor was running for re-election, um, Andy Bashir, And he uh, was running against a gentleman named Cameron. I think it was David Cameron. I don't remember his full name. Um, but he's running against a gentleman named Cameron. And uh, anybody who doesn't want to get made fun of uh, for losing the because when people think of Kentucky, which by the way, this is how dumb uh, people are. Um, when people think of Kentucky, they think uh, they think it's a deep red state, which by the way makes them stupid. I certainly do. Because Why? Kentucky is Daniel Cameron. I'm sorry, his name is Daniel Cameron. Okay. Kentucky is not is not a deep red state. It's Why not a battleground either. Oh, <laughs> I happen to actually know this personally on why that is. Um, when a lot of, uh, uh, when basically a lot of your auto industry was running away from Michigan because it was getting completely destroyed, guess one of the biggest states it went to? Is it Kentucky? It's Kentucky. Why the are auto workers so gullible? It's not even, let me, so they're not anymore. That, that's another thing that's, that's very um, interesting is mm -hmm. it, it's, they're gullible. They're, they're not gullible anymore because a lot of them ended up voting for, um, they, yeah, they ended up voting, voting for like Trump. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> I mean, that's, that's a hugely hugely notable aspect of it. Um, and the reason though is the reason why it feels like they're gullible is the money. There's all of this money that comes from unions. Unions are a huge fundraising apparatus for the Democrat party. And they always will be. Teachers union is a really great example. You might know teachers that are conservative, but their union, they are paying every single month out of their paycheck. They are paying for Democrat candidates. Mm -hmm. so they get one vote they get one vote in an election but they might be paying twenty thousand dollars that's purchasing 20 you know that's purchasing 200 300 400 500 votes against their own that's how this yeah. kind of stuff happens but at the same time the governorship in kentucky hasn't consistently been republican um in fact andy Bashir is the son of the former Democrat Kentucky governor, his father. <laughs> so, but the point is, is like, it's just, I wonder how many idiots at the RNC are like, well, Kentucky's a solid red state. It's going to be fine. We don't need to fund it at all. And Andy Bashir like, just completely kills it because where do these people live? The RNC, they live in fucking New York. 
all these New Yorkers are going to be like, well, Kentucky, they've got tractor trailers and trucks and we don't need to worry about that. Yeah, yeah, you do. You really do. You need to worry the shit out of that. But the other thing is, too, is it's it's a um, it's a cope because it wasn't Trump's guy. Cameron was not Trump's guy. He was handpicked by Mitch McConnell. Like, yes, Trump endorsed him. That's true. Trump did endorse him. But Mitch McConnell is the reason why he has a political career at all. That, to me, is a alarmingly um, indica- an alarming indicator of how the establishment is doing in Kentucky. Because you know who's not worried about their seat in Kentucky right now? Who's that? Rand Paul. When you've got Rand Paul as your junior senator, you should probably think about whether or not the Republican Party is like doing super great in your state. That's nothing against Rand Paul, but Rand Paul is Rand freaking Paul. He's Ron Paul's kid. You need to look at that and be like, hey guys, the standard GOP shit don't work here. Like the clearest signal of that is Rand Paul is their senator. <laughs> like, right. You know what I mean? It's the dumbest thing on the planet. Like you can't pull establishment politics in a place that elects Rand Paul. So no, look into that. Yeah. So like, like, uh, like, uh, HDR cynical saying is like, he's a libertarian who runs as a Republican. Yeah. Right. You can't play the same fucking, like, it's amazing that Mitch, Mitch McConnell exists in Kentucky because nobody else knows any other name than Mitch McConnell. And he has millions and millions and millions of dollars. That's why Mitch McConnell wins. Not because people really love his message, but because he outspends so much that it basically like people don't even know that other people exist. So, um, and Deb as who's actually in, that's amazing. Deb who's in Kentucky. So the rumor was that Cameron was funded by Mitch McConnell. That's actually true. Um, he was funded by Mitch McConnell and he was picked by Mitch McConnell. He lost, he lost. And that happens. Now, the problem is, is that that should be looked at as how did we lose Kentucky? And like I'm saying here, why does why does Rand Paul do well in Kentucky, um, but Cameron didn't? That's a good question to ask. That's the kind of question that the state party needs to ask, and it needs to translate that to the national, to the RNC, and then they need to curate ads for that. We're not asking a lot here. But you need to take a look and say, what is it that appeals to Kentucky voters? Why does Rand Paul appeal, but this guy Daniel Cameron didn't? And you should be asking those questions and then figuring out how you fund those things. But the RNC doesn't do that. They want everything to be centralized, which is hilarious because they're Republicans and centralization's bad. But they want everything to be centralized. And to be honest, they want it to be easy. Yeah. They're a party for sustainment, not a party for revolution. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they are currently not formatted for revolution. But what also happened? So that was sorry. The Kentucky race is what the consultant class wants everyone to focus on because they want to make that a battle between Trump and DeSantis or what the hell ever. The real disappointment, and this isn't personal, but it was a large race and it was a shocking one, is Virginia. Virginia is where the RNC has to be held completely responsible. Okay. So there was a surprise election, of course, that everybody remembers uh, back in 2022 when Glenn Youngkin won the governorship of Virginia. Shocking, unseating, um, well, not unseating, um, but defeating Terry McAuliffe, who was a 
nationally popular Democrat. Helped fundraise for the Clintons, all this other nonsense. But Glenn Youngkin beat him, which was incredible. Nobody saw that coming. But now, you know, there was a Republican House of Delegates, but there was a Democrat Senate. So the whole plan, the strategy here was maintain the House and win the Senate. They lost both. The Republican Party lost the House of Delegates and the Republican Party lost the Senate. So now the next two years, which, uh, by the way, governors in Kentucky can, or governors in Virginia can only run for four years. You cannot run for re-election. You can only run for four years. It's a term-limited seat in Virginia. So um, Glenn Youngkin was the person really running the apparatus here. Uh, But the RNC, of course, is responsible. They lost. And Glenn Youngkin's one of those, he's like kind of a poster child, right? Like for a lot of Republican politics. You know, if if he, if he flipped flipped Virginia, basically, and what if he was given the capability of having a successful, like let's say he looked like a Ron DeSantis. Like look, nothing against Ron DeSantis. Like I think he did a really great job as governor, but it wasn't that hard because it's a red state and they have control of the House and the Senate. So it's really not hard for you know Ron DeSantis to be a good governor when his fucking party owns everything and is able to push it all through, right? Pretty easy sure, uh, to be good at your like, job. Yeah, I knew it would be something. Something I would say, you know, Ron DeSantis did a great job. However, it is it would be maybe a more true test of their political acumen that uh, to be in a much more contested spot. If someone said Ron DeSantis was a good governor of Florida, therefore he would be a great president, I would caution caution it feeling it should be moderate a little bit of well ron DeSantis didn't have to deal with as much political infighting as he would have to deal with as president of the united states than he has dealt with as governor of florida because the government of florida is much more cohesive at least on party lines mm-hmm. than say the entire united states yes yeah agreed that that is one of the things is not to knock him i like i like his policies yeah. but it's going to be a lot more difficult at the federal level because he doesn't sure. have the same kind of like he, the, the opposition. Now, he's been in Congress before, but the opposition that he is going to face is not going to be his record as governor is not going to translate to a record on the uh, as president because he's going to face a lot more opposition than he's used to. It was it's just like through no fault of his own. And he did a very good job of, you know, building up a good power base there. Um, but he's not he's going to face a lot more opposition than he's used to. It's going to be a little bit, it's going to be far more difficult to be successful. But Glenn Youngkin, on the other hand, you know, like what if we were able to, you know, make Virginia, Florida, as they say, well, that seems like that would have been a huge priority for the Republican party. I mean, perhaps, but you know, maybe you can only hold it for a little bit, but it would be a really good thing because Glenn Youngkin was a poster child. And to be fair, the establishment was trying to get the guy to run for president. There were a lot of people that wanted Glenn Youngkin to declare his intentions to run for president um, and get him into this primary. So we know that a lot of establishment figures really like the guy. But the RNC didn't send any funding to Virginia. And interestingly, they were outspent by dramatic amounts. There were national level political action committees running ads because I couldn't watch any streaming service or even YouTube without seeing about five Democrat ads to every one Republican ad. 
in Virginia. And honestly, that's a very big reason why they lost because the ads, of course, they were bullshit and they were, it was just, it was all smear campaigns. Sure. And the Republicans didn't have the funding to even give a response. Most of the ads were meant to scare suburban women. So the, a lot of the ads were, you know, Governor Glenn Youngkin wants to ban abortion and he wants to put doctors in jail. Well, that's that's scary for suburban women. You know, they're they're propagandized and brainwashed into thinking that that's terrifying because, well, if I can't murder a baby, then it's going to be like a handmaid's tale and I'm going to basically just get raped in a shed every day. Um, all that the Republican Party in Virginia needed to do was have a response that wasn't, you know, that, that while they're while these political action committees are running all of these campaigns about like this guy's going to take away your ability to have an abortion, which the majority of women don't have them, but they're just kind of scared for it. And instead, they could have run ads with "Vote for me and your kids." Like, we'll get a better education and we're not going to have teachers and uh, unelect teachers and school school boards making decisions on your children. Because that's what won Glenn Youngkin the governorship and they could have pounded on that. And do you think suburban women would have been like, well, I'm never planning on getting an abortion, but I wouldn't be able to if Glenn Youngkin's governor and gets his way. Or do you think they're going to be more appealed by, yeah, I'm really pissed at how my school's treating me. You know, I know people who... I think that that's a very valid criticism, is instead of arguing the, the abortion debate, it probably would be smarter to sidestep it and then push something where you absolutely do win. And the goal would be to put your... Voters that maybe would choose your independent voters or voters that would realistically vote for a Republican candidate. Because I feel there's a lot of Democrats out there that never would, regardless of your strategy. But target those voters and say, well, instead of arguing about abortion, let's argue something that we know will win on, which would be something like we're not going to push trans stuff at your kids in schools. Right. And place the idea would be to place voters in weighing the different options. Go, well, you know, I'm, I'm pro-choice and I would love to have the option to murder a baby if I ever felt like it would be fun. Uh, or <laughs> people that go, but I actually do, because it's, I think because that is a hypothetical to a lot of women. It's not, mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of women are having abortions con- continuously and that it's really a real thing that they're just like, oh, it's, June, like, well, time for my monthly abortion. I don't think that's really realistic. <laughs> but they peep so I think for a lot of people, abortion is a much more oh theoretical argument. Oh, I theoretically would like to have the option if I needed one, but a lot of women do have children. And right. they act or they want to have children. And the reality of the schools are pushing a bunch of stuff on kids that ab parents absolutely disagree with that's a real issue and setting a real issue against a more hypothetical issue i think would really be a winning strategy well, for example i mean it's the republican party gets almost a bad rap because it talks too much about uh, things like taxes and this like which are very real things whereas the democrats focus a lot more on hypotheticals like but racism I think that in some cases, if you were smart, 
especially with issues people are really upset about, like trans nonsense in schools, that really could help offset the hypotheticals about racism and abortion and whatever else. Well, and it's easy because I think, mm-hmm, yeah, what I'm not doing I was is say, you finish, you finish, Alan. I was going to say, I think a lot of times the, the standard Republican line has been things like, oh, we're going to have lower taxes and lower, less regulations. And while that is great, that doesn't impact people on a day-to-day basis. And it's easy to ignore those in favor of scary hypotheticals about abortion and racism. Whereas if you talk about kids and schools, we have these issues now that we didn't used to have that are absolutely winning real things that people are actually worried about in their daily life that could be affected. And I feel that placing those against the left's crazy hyperbole might be a winning message. Well, and I don't and, and like don't misunderstand. I'm not telling anyone to avoid discussing abortion it's just think about it like this you know imagine that you're a candidate and you walk out and you go like you know my opposition is talking about like you know you might hear some attack ads about like different things that i support well i am pro family and here's how i'm going to take care of your family I'm going to get these school boards to quit listing you as a terrorist because you have a complaint against how your school is run. That's a real thing. That was Loudoun County, Virginia, where that happened. Remember the t- the parents being uh, threat tagged? Mm-hmm. That was here. That was in this fucking state. Like, run that. Yeah, like, it. it don't make it a pro-choice, pro-life, but like, uh, yeah, I'm pro-family. I'm pro-your family. And you have a right to decide on your child's education. And that's what my opposition hates about me. My opposition Mm -hmm. hates that I want you to have a say in your child's education. My opposition, on the other hand, is funded by the teachers union who actively, here's the National Teachers Union with Barry Weingarten, saying that you don't have a right in your child's education. That you're not allowed to know if your child uh, decides to have different pronouns, uh, you know, and it's the you know the, the same idea too is you know the teachers union who hid the fact that a student was raped at a school because that was what actually exploded the whole Loudoun County uh, school board stuff was the fact that the like somebody actually went to jail or at least got charged for it. They hid the fact that a student was raped, was sexually assaulted because the sexual assault occurred with a student that was wearing a skirt. You know, a man that was in a woman's bathroom, you know, the thing that, uh, you know, those stodgy conservatives were so worried about. Yeah, that like that literal situation occurred. A male was in the female bathroom because trans reasons raped or sexually assaulted a girl. And then the school board tried to cover it up. And arrested the dad when he talked about it at a meeting. Like, that's what they should have focused on. And I'm not saying that they didn't. It's just really hard to focus on it when you're given no money from the national party. Yeah. I don't know why the national... What's the national party going to spend this money on? What are they waiting for? I mean, that's a good question. You have a theory about this. Wait, which part of it? Like why they didn't oh, the, fund it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, maybe not this specifically, but 
essentially the National Party might use its funding apparatus to try and manipulate politicians into various positions. For example, the governor of Virginia, Yes, they might want to manipulate him into running for president so that we don't have to deal with big old meanie mean, meanie face Donald Trump. So that's the whole thing is I think that part of it was punishment because the powers that be um, in the establishment wanted Glenn Youngkin to run because they thought that uh, he might be able to push Donald Trump out of the primary. And he didn't play ball. He did not declare president. He said flat out, like, I'm I'm running for, you know, I'm, I'm the governor. That's what I'm going to do, whatever. And I think he embarrassed some people um, because they were running polls. There were polls that were asking people's opinion uh, for Glenn Youngkin as, you know, running for president. And everybody thought it was, like, kind of weird because, like, this guy hasn't even declared what the hell's going on. So they were really trying to pressure him into doing it. And then he didn't play ball. I think that that's why he got punished. I think that the RNC wanted him to run to become that candidate that probably would have like grabbed up some of those more middle um, middle voters and would have possibly been able to push Donald Trump out. And he didn't play along. And I think it pissed the wrong people off. And so they decided that they were going to ensure that he was not going to have a successful governorship in Virginia. Hmm. Fascinating. So... I'm interested. So Rolls with Scissors says over overreaction isn't the answer. Unfortunately, we keep doing that. Just creates more division because both sides double down. I disagree. Um, like like in, in the example that we're actually talking about here, a Republican, Glenn Youngkin, won in Virginia because we were talking about issues that people cared about. And yeah, it would it looked real divisive. It looked real overreactionary. Um, but there was a father being arrested because he wanted the school to address the sexual assault of his daughter. And that became an entire discussion about exactly what is going on in our public school system and what are these teachers unions and these school boards hiding from us. And it won him the gubernatorial uh, mansion and, you know, he's in the governor's mansion of Virginia now because he had those hard discussions, because he had those divisive discussions, but they were important. People, when, when people use, and I'm not saying anything against this particular comment, but the word divisive means that it is a directly, that they are two directly competing ideas, which is legitimately what politics is supposed to be about. If you want to live in a world where politics aren't divisive, then you're voting for a uniparty. Mm-hmm. And we don't want I mean, a uniparty. I want a uniparty that serves me and wins. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if we had a unified party that like served if, us, yeah, that'd be great. If, the, if there was a uniparty that was, doing, that was doing the job that I approved of, I don't know if I'd have that much of a problem with it. Well, no, and that's true. And what's what's really fascinating about that is, for example, you know what wasn't a divisive issue? That. Um, funding Ukraine. That wasn't a divisive issue in any of the political parties. Oh, it was good. with the voters. Yeah. But it wasn't It wasn't in Washington, D.C. It wasn't divisive at all. Are you okay with yeah. that? Because understand, politically, not divisive. But we don't agree with it. We didn't want it. The voters didn't want it. But it wasn't divisive in D.C. That's what not divisive. Like, if everybody in the government is agreeing with something, it is probably the easiest way for you to know that you were about to get fucked. <laughs> like, I yeah. mean, so actually, um, well, yeah. So 
but that's that's a big part of the postmortem is that there is a massive division in um, a massive division between the National Republican Party under Ron and Romney McDaniel and um, the actual voters. And there has been for a long time. This isn't new. And it isn't just Ron and Romney McDaniel, which, by the way, Romney, she's a fucking Romney. Like, why the hell is she still exist in this party? Like, she's Mitten's niece. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, by the way, uh, she, she looks great, great, by the way. Her plastic surgery has been fantastic. Oh, she, she looks well-rested. Um, you know, she, she's lost a lot of weight, and, and she just con- consistently looks like she's she's well up on sleep and that she's very well taken care of. She looks like she just returned from a spa day every time I see her, which is weird for, for somebody running a goddamn political party, especially right after an election. She looked phenomenal the day after the election. Didn't look like she lost a wink. I find that to well, be that's a problem. Good to hear. I'm glad some people are doing well in <laughs> politics. That's always great. <clears throat> also, why is how how what kind of what's the record of the uh, Republican Party under Ron Romney and Daniels? Uh, they've lost. Great? They've lost every goddamn time. Oh, they've lost. Oops. Well, that's un- that's embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they've they've lost every time because they're taking bad advice from idiots who tell them that immigration's a fringe issue when in reality it's one of the top priorities of most voters. Huh. But yeah, consultants I, are going to say, "Well, that's the fringe. Don't do that. It's going to scare away independents. It's going to scare away suburban suburban women. Oh no. Don't talk about that. That has not worked." Everything those consultants are telling you is a lie because you keep losing. Because you're running to the center. And, and uh, I'm not trying to beat up on, on uh, rolls with scissors here on the chat, but it's, you know, the comment here, when you run to the fringes, you only capture a small amount of people. The center is the largest voting block, not the extreme sides. Bullshit. Tell me when the Democrat Party has ever run to center. They never have. They consistently win and they sit on the fringe. That is a lie. That is a lie that the RNC tells people for why they try to liberalize conservatism. It's a bullshit lie. Because I, I, I'm sorry. I never saw AOC run to the center. I didn't see Rashida Tlaib do it. I didn't see Omar, um, Ilhan Omar do it. I didn't see Nancy Pelosi do it. I don't see Bernie Sanders do it. They win, they win, they win, they win, they win. There are states that we literally don't even try. Gavin Newsom, run into the center? Oh, no, no, he's not. No, he's not. That is that is a lie that a bunch of liberals tell Republicans to get them to look weak. Because the Democrats do not do that. They do not run to center, ever. And even when they do, even if it sounds like they do, because remember, everybody told us that, well, you know, the reason why Joe Biden's going to do so well is because he's really kind of a moderate. Does he look like a moderate? Has been has not been governing as a moderate. D- did anybody actually think that the dude was a moderate? Do you think a bunch of Democrats were like, well, I agree with all of this uh, gender transitioning of children and spending billions of dollars on foreign wars and everything like you know, I agree with all of that, but really what I want is our message to be moderated. Like, the the Democrat Party looks insane to people in the center. Or at least it should. I, you'd think it would. 
but they never it is moderate. All, it is talking to me that they're it, well, I, and I think a lot of it is the media. Like the media paints Republicans as evil, and there's very it's very difficult for Republicans to overcome that, regardless of what their policy decisions are, because it's fundamentally and people are making an emotional argument rather than a well reasoned one. Yeah. So yeah, yeah no, it's, and and that's that's the whole thing is like the the left. The Democrat Party does not moderate, but we're constantly told that that's how you win races, except I never see the Democrat Party moderate ever. In fact, they vote as a block against something that's going to lose. They know it's going to lose and they'll vote in a block to do it and they'll sit there and show how unified their party is. And nobody accuses them of being on the fringe except for people in the right wing media. In fact, the media will just talk about how correct the Democrats were for voting the way that they did and how evil the Republicans are. And God, if only they didn't control the House of Representatives. That's true. So it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. It's a lie that consultants tell people. Um, And it's, it's a lie that consultants tell people so progressives... So there could still be a little drip drab of progressivism within the Republican Party to fund... Uh, the defense industrial complex and ensure that lobbying still is ascendant within politics. Because if the Republican Party actually sat on the quote unquote fringes, which I like to define as what people actually want, immigration is a fringe issue. The Republican Party is told consistently immigration is a fringe issue. Abortion is a fringe issue. Um. Uh, uh, entitlement reform is a fringe issue. Are these fringe issues with your voter, with your voters? No, they're not. They're actual things that people can uh, are concerned about. I bet consultants are saying foreign wars are a fringe issue. Absolutely, it's I mean, it's clear that there is a massive lobbying effort to push a bunch of things that voters don't want. Voters have consistently for decades, for the last. At least 20 years, GOP voters have wanted less immigration. GOP's never delivered less immigration. But we, at least in the last decade, I remember how I remember that people that voted Republican voted for Obama because he was going to end the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan because Mm -hmm. they didn't like the foreign wars. Yep. A GOP still stands for foreign wars. I mean, heck, even the Democrats stand for foreign wars. So. All of these issues that people, especially on the GOP side, keep the voters keep asking for these things, lower taxes, less regulation, all of this. The government basically keeps contriving ways that it never has to deliver what its own voters want. Mm -hmm. The GOP seems hell bent on ensuring that its voters don't get what they want. And then it's hard. I mean, the only reasons for that start drifting into the conspiratorial that the GOP is essentially controlled opposition that is funded by interest groups in order to push the exact policies that its own voters don't want. And it maintains an ironhold grip on its base of political power in order to prevent its own voters from seeking third party alternatives. It's the reason why the GOP was instrumental in destroying the Tea Party. It's the reason why the GOP was instrumental in helping to destroy the Trump presidency. Because they're essentially not on the same side as their voters. Their voters are essentially just vote cattle that keep putting them into office. And then they tantalize little bits like, oh, we'll keep protect your gun rights and we'll do something about abortion. And there are many people in the GOP that are good, but the overall GOP as a party 
is not interested in coalescing together to deliver what its own voters wanted it. You could say the Democrat Party is, is similar in that regard. They keep tantalizing their voters with things like, we're going to end racism, and we're going to make abortions free for everyone, and we're going to student debt. And both parties essentially are playing their voters just to maintain this uniparty grip on political power rather than actually delivering the change that is its voters both want and is necessary for the U.S. to keep functioning. Like, we're rapidly hitting a point where we can only play these silly games for so long before it really starts catching up to us and destroying our quality of life. Well, yeah. So, it, we'll see. It, I mean, for, for any of the people that are upset about um, fringe issues, you know, like, you know, you bring up stuff like Ohio, you know, who did who voted on a proposal to uh, put abortion uh, in the state constitution. Um, mm-hmm. Just so you're aware, the Republican Party barely fought any of those battles. They barely fought for anything that had to do with abortion. Do you know why? Why's that? Uh, because the consultant said it was a fringe issue. So yeah, you lost. Well, the consultant said it was a fringe issue, and now all of your Republicans for the next many elections can run on a platform of, we're going to change that thing that we don't like. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, consultants told I them mean, it was a fringe issue. So you yeah. had Democrats saying, oh my glorb, they're going to take your rights away. It's going to be like a handmaid's tale. And then every Republican was like, don't, don't, don't do anything about, don't, don't say anything about that. It's a fringe issue. You're going to upset people. Right. Yeah. This myth, I think, <laughs> I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but this whole myth of there's all these moderates out there and you'll get 90% of the vote if you just yeah. craft independent right message. I there's all these don't see that as reality. There's all these independents out there, just tens of millions of people that just don't know who they're going to vote for. They're just up there for grabs. I think if you delivered a set of policies and that were like, okay, I think look at Donald Trump, especially Mm -hmm. in 2016, the whole make America great again. That was not a moderate message. That was not a message designed to, perfectly hit this balance between all the parties that was a almost revolutionary message and it was wildly popular you could even say the probably the same thing about obama obama again was pretty very popular because his message was not oh we're going to be perfectly crafted to be as milk toast and middle of the road as possible no certainly not like people in america i think increasingly want I don't say it has to be necessarily revolutionary, but it definitely, it kind of does. They want a someone to say, this is what I stand for, this is what we're going to do, and they want to feel like the people they elect are going to push back against the things they see that are damaging their quality of life. Mm-hmm. They're damaging the future for their kids. They want someone to stand up and be powerful and strong, and I think that all of these consultants, the, the, the only answer they can give is, we should just continue to be as weak-seeming as possible, as weak and flip-floppy as possible. Right. Well, right. Yeah, you know, because the independents, guys, it's the, the you got to worry about the independents. It's okay. You we can sell off. Yeah, you can sell off your entire base because you don't want to yeah. alienate these all these people that currently in twenty twenty in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three are like God. I just don't know if I'm a Republican or Democrat because right. that's to- either, they totally exist. You can either alienate your <laughs> own voting base in 
try to grab this these few independents, or you can energize your voting base by actually having a set of policies and decisions and just vitality that makes them feel like that you're going to do what they want. You're going to change the things that make them upset. Well, and that's and the I, other the other part I want to shocked that that's such a hard sell. The other part that I want to address too is enthusiasm. I haven't been able to look into the numbers just yet, but let's talk a little bit about the potential of an enthusiasm gap on the GOP side for this most recent election, because I want you guys to remember what happened recently when it comes nationally to uh, Republican voters. So the majority of Republican voters did not like Kevin McCarthy. And so he ended up getting ousted by, um, you know, a small group of Republicans were able to get him ousted as a speaker. A lot of Republicans just don't like McCarthy. They don't feel like he's being successful. Fine. But then people started putting up candidates like Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan's hugely popular in the Republican Party. The majority of GOP voters like Jim Jordan. They really like what he has to say. But then a bunch mm -hmm. of Republicans out of bitterness and pettiness ensured that Jim Jordan could not become Speaker of the House. They said no. They sat, they stomped their feet and they went, I'm not voting for him because they ousted Kevin McCarthy and I'm mad about it. Me, I'm not going to vote for Jim Jordan. I don't care how much all the voters like him. Me. And they pouted. And they were pissy. Doesn't matter. Like, you can be mad about the ousting of McCarthy. Fine. But it did happen. And what you did after it mattered. So there were 22 Republicans who ensured that uh, Jim Jordan didn't become Speaker of the House because they wanted to throw a piss fit um, because McCarthy was removed. So even though a huge amount of Republican voters were like, I think Jim Jordan would make a really good Speaker, they went, well, I'm mad that it's not Kevin McCarthy, so I'm going to vote against him anyway. Fuck the voters. Just so you know, that happened. Yeah. You know, they said fuck the voters because by and large, Republican voters like Jim Jordan. And they said, fuck you, we don't care. The so, GOP <clears throat> is fundamentally unserious. Yeah. It's like, so oh, that's two, two things. Either I have a completely bizarre and alien view on the direction the country is headed, and everything's actually just totally fine. Or the GOP is absolutely squandering its position and allowing the country to fall into chaos and anarchy. Uh, that's, this, that's the part that shocks me on this. Is I don't understand how people in the GOP look at the direction the country's headed. Look at how things have changed over the last even 10 years. And look, and look to the future and go, you know what we should do? Let's squander all of our resources on stupid, petty infighting and trying to make deals with Democrats. I, I'm shocked by that, and I don't understand how people in the party can be so insulated that they don't see the threats that we're facing, or I, I'm totally wrong. I mean, maybe I am. Maybe I'm totally wrong about the direction the country's headed and where things have gone over the last decade, but I'm just shocked the GOP seems so cavalier that they're able to feel like they can comfortably waste effort on nonsense. It's like, at a time like this, how can they be this silly? But seriously, at a time like this, with Joe Biden in office and all of these issues that seem to be on the verge of becoming catastrophic problems, the debt, 
foreign wars, our position as a superpower, like economically, inflation. I don't, I mean, heck, just average law and order for the average of the average American on the street. Housing, the house, uh, you know, housing prices, like these things are serious issues. And the GOP seems completely uninterested in tackling any of it. Like, what is the future for the GOP? Oh, yeah, I guess you just like we allow in so many illegal immigrants. They all have children that the Democrats essentially say, yeah, well, they, they keep dangling amnesty for the illegal parents. And then they vote for like the country's just going to turn blue. It's like what happens when Texas turns blue? Is the GOP going to scratch his head and go, how could this have happened? <laughs> I don't like they they're sitting there and we, everybody I know for the past five years. Why are there all these angry? Saying, why are there all these angry Palestinians sitting in New York City screaming? Exactly, I don't understand. Yeah, when when the when the last statue of George Washington gets torn down because he's a quote a racist, or are the GOP going to go? Whoa, my gosh! Like the country's become unrecognizable. If only a canary in the coal mine could have whistled before now. <laughs> so it 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 to me is impossible to miss the downward slide that the United States seems to be on. I mean, you look back 10 years and you go, wow, the slippery slope people were absolutely correct. And <laughs> people are marrying their cats. How, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand how the G, how anyone in the GOP can't look, can look at the current situation today and have lived through the past 10 years like the rest of us have and go, yeah, we're totally not under threat. There's absolutely nothing to worry about. We should just keep doing stupid political games and infighting. I'm well, shocked. It's almost, this is why, I, this is the case. That's the evidence that you would say, well, the GOP is clearly just controlled opposition because no one could be this ridiculous. No one could be this blind and oblivious to the, the actual threats facing the country. They have to be doing this on purpose. And uh, I, mean, I don't know where it actually sits, but th that's what leads people to make those claims. So it makes me feel like they almost must be controlled opposition because there's no way that they're this blind. My 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 favorite thing, and I'm, I'm not trying to be glib here, but one of the questions that came up on chat was what was gained by Kevin McCarthy's ouster? And there was actually something. Regardless of all the infighting and regardless of how people are going to feel about uh, about the new guy and all this other stuff, um, there was something gained. And, and people need to recognize this aspect of it because, yeah, we, we might have a dog shit uh, speaker now. I don't know. Jury's still out. We're coming up on another government shutdown, which good. Shut it. Shut it the fuck down like they shut us down for covid. Um, but here's the thing. Um, there was something gained. There was an ultimate and good gain that did come out of his ouster, no matter how angry you are about it or whether you agreed with it or not. And it was simple as this. It scared the GOP, and that's good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They should be scared. The number one thing that the government does not deal well with is being scared of the people. Think about January 6th. There's a reason why they want to shut that down. It wasn't because it, wasn't because it was a riot or an attempted coup. It's that it scared the shit out of our representatives in Washington, D.C., because the people mm -hmm. that they have continually fucked over were able to get inside and that scares the hell out of them. And they should mm -hmm. be. I want a government that is afraid of its people. 
There's no healthier government than one that is afraid of the people with whom they represent. So that's it. That was the good. The good that came out of it is you're not safe. Don't fuck this up. And that's a good thing. I would argue that the Tea Party did the same thing. Oh, no, 100%. That's why they hated it so much. That's why people like John McCain absolutely detested the Tea Party. Because it was a bunch of hasty, dummy, dumb Americans that just don't get it. They come in here with their stupid Fox News opinions and, 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 you know, listening to all these idiot shock jocks on the radio out here whining about taxes. But they don't understand the bigger picture, uh, the bigger strategic picture of how, you know, we're going to fund these wars and, and, like, understand their stock portfolio. I mean, the GDP is going to go up 3%. Why are they crying about Obamacare? Yeah. Yeah. What if we get rid of the Federal Reserve? How am I going to make so much money? (laughs) These damn people listening to Ron Paul. (laughs) So. Just Constitution this, Constitution that. It's never about my donors. (laughs) You don't understand. (laughs) My donors really fucking hate that free speech thing. How is my, how are my donors going to buy a second yacht if we... You know, lower taxes and stop all these wars. Well, the um, the other the other fun part too is um, so sorry, but moving moving away from from the uh from the election on Tuesday, which was entirely yeah. a failure of the of the GOP establishment. It's a good thing that it happened because sometimes it needs to hurt bad. I'm I'm going to be honest. Actually, the more the more that people are seeing. Democrat politics these days, the better it actually is for us. Cause sometimes it just, it, sometimes it's not bad enough, you know, and I hate to say it that way, but like, like I've said before, the theor- trying to sell people the theoretical is really difficult, but here's a good example of a not theoretical anymore, you know, and, and I'll, I'll caveat, or I'll, I'll caveat it with this five years ago, this would have been a very difficult argument to make. But now it's not because we have Alan came up with a fantastic example of this. Thomas Massey has gone to the mat (laughs) over a um, a law that was passed actually when Democrats were in control of the House of Representatives. They passed a law like massive thousand page law. And in it, it contained a provision that Thomas Massey recently wanted to make an amendment for that failed in the House of Representatives. And he's pretty pissed off about it. But the long story short on it is, um, as of 2026, every vehicle manufacturer is supposed to install a kill switch in new vehicles that will passively monitor your driving behavior to decide whether or not you're impaired. And if, yeah. it, if it decides that you're impaired, it will shut down your ability to drive. It's a kill switch, you know, to keep you safe uh-huh. from drunk driving. Well, yeah. So this so, is part of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is a $1 trillion bipartisan deal. That was, of course, some thousand-page long thing. And buried in here Build back better. <laughs> yeah. Buried in here was this provision that all new vehicles after 2026 must include advanced drunk and impaired driving prevention technology as standard equipment. So what this is is it's a it's a called a driver monitoring system, and these actually have become much have become common in cars over the last few years. 
Uh, essentially, you now have, since you have little microphones in the car, you have little, you have LED detectors and little cameras in cars now. Uh, for example, I know Subaru has in some of their new cars. They have it, and uh, Toyotas. They can detect if the driver is becoming sleepy by monitoring the driver's eyelids with little cameras uh, that basically look at you while you're driving. And so a lot of companies, BMW, Mercedes, Lexus, are all starting to implement what they call driver monitoring systems. A lot of these are little cameras and things. So if you fall asleep while you're driving, oh, well, it can, it can you know, buzz the steering wheel, get you back awake. Oh, okay, it's going to stop accidents. And as part of this, they've now found that, well, we can also add systems in that it does the same thing, but it could detect if you're potentially impaired. Oh, well, then that'd be great. And if it does, well, then the car would just refuse to turn on for you or it would shut down. And so in the European Union, in I believe it was 2019, they added this as a as a uh, mandated feature that all cars must include a driver monitoring system to monitor driver drowsiness and attention warning system that assesses the driver's alertness through vehicle system analysis and warns the driver is needed. And those systems now, as the technology has been developed, are starting to include things like, well, we could use these same systems that are already monitoring you in your car to detect whether you're drunk. Oh, and then we could shut it down. Well, uh, add to that, there is this additional piece that the Highway Safety, National Highway Safety Transportation Agency, or whatever their name is, yeah, in HTSA, is also very excited about the secondary technology called the Vehicle to Everything Project, which is called, uh, which is abbreviated as V2X, but essentially it's communication between vehicles and other and everything else. Mm -hmm. Smart like, technology. The Internet of Things. Yep. And so basically your vehicle could can communicate with other vehicles. It can communicate with traffic signals. You can see this in certain cars where, say, like on a BMW, you have the little heads-up display, and it will display what the current speed limit for the road you're traveling on is in real time. And that's a vehicle-to-everything vehicle communication system where all these vehicles, essentially all your cars become smart, and then through probably the 5G network, all of your cars can communicate with networks, and you can have data sharing, and isn't that so pleasant and nice? You, uh, OnStar is sort of the early version of this. Mm-hmm. Well, if you combine these two sets of technologies, it means that your car in the future, by regulation, your car must be connected to essentially a wireless communications grid and have a bunch of driver monitoring systems. Yeah. All of the, I can tell. <laughs> it sounds that, like a Black Mirror episode. Exactly. There are enough articles, say, in the Associated Press and other liberal outlets saying, no, this isn't a kill switch. There's nothing to worry about here. They, they're going to put in all sorts of <laughs> safeguards to make sure that your privacy is maintained, which makes me immediately know that absolutely this is a government kill switch <laughs> that will absolutely be used by the government and law enforcement to track and disable vehicles remotely. They could already do it with Teslas. If Tesla, if you don't uh, Tesla can brick your car remotely because all they're all connected to the grid. Right. Now imagine that scales up to every single car is mandated to have some little box in it that connects to the information grid. And then for your own safety, it'll block out your car if the detectors and emitters inside the car detect that you're drunk. The National Highway Safety Administration, 
has said that if we have this V2X technology pervasive in all cars, we'd have a we'd decrease the number of accidents by 13%. And I mean, that's great because if it saves only one life, then we have to implement this. Um, but then I think of, well, wait a minute. What happens when the government has that kind of power? I saw over COVID the efforts that they put into to lock down the country on an absolute frivolous, absolutely ridiculous and frivolous concept. The whole idea is, oh, well, there's this virus and we have to lock down the country. We now know that that decision was made simply as a palliative decision that never was really intended to stop the spread of COVID. But then I watched how everybody doubled down. They were shutting down hiking trailheads. They were putting sand in skate parks. They were taking the basketball hoops, unbolting the basketball hoops off of basketball courts. They were wrapping, they were putting wrapping caution tape around playgrounds. They were, they locked down the country mm-hmm. in a way that none of us voted for, in a way that was pretty much extrajudicial. Yep. And now imagine those same people also had the ability to shut down vehicle transportation. They could, I mean, with these systems where you add the mandated driver monitoring systems that include a kill switch that would prevent the vehicle from operating with the vehicle to everything essentially uh, networked infrastructure, it means someone, the government, absolutely, there would be an absolute mechanism to say all vehicles within this urban center are to be locked down for for safety. Mm -hmm. And and that's the thing, right, is like we we go into this, right, people start saying things like vehicle kill switch, and it sounds conspiratorial. It sounds so scary. Yeah, I have to ask ask people the question, though. COVID. We, yeah. never, we didn't have this kind of example a few years ago when mm-hmm. we talk about technology like this. But COVID, do right. you think that there would have been a contingent of people, if capable, that would have demanded yeah. that cars have their kill switch activated so you couldn't go drive to the bar? Remember how pissed they were that you were going to the bar? Remember yeah, how pissed they were that bar, you were going to the grocery store? Things. Yeah. They would have absolutely shut your shit down. And by the way, I have to point out the the brilliance of Colleen in our chat. You know what else it's good for? Mm. Gas mileage tax. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100% absolutely. that's going to roll into yep. a gas mileage tax. Well, sir, you've been driving a little too much. You need to pay extra money because of climate change. Yep. Yeah. And if, I mean, again, it's the... We absolutely know that they would abuse this kind of author- this kind of capability if they had it. The technology already exists and is being implemented to give them this ability, and there is legislation that they're pushing to de- to mandate that it's in all new cars. Right, and it don't have to be. It doesn't. It, it's to say it's a conspiracy to do this is just kind of factual. Is it intentionally being done with that end in mind? Maybe, maybe not. But it, if it doesn't, and that, and that distinction to me doesn't matter. If someone is intending to do this or, some, or it is all being accidental, the end result is it absolutely is happening. That's what can't be argued. Well, the technology th- exists and is getting put in cars. The regulations are being put in place. The desire to do this already exists. Whether it's all a conspiracy to orchestrate it or whether it's by accident, the end result is going to be 
the government will use this technology against people for their own nefarious ends. Well, and this is this is where it does kind of suck, but accelerationism actually does make some sense. And yeah. for example, like I said, five years ago, when you and I, if you and I were talking mm -hmm. about this on the program, it would have been difficult. It would have been this big theoretical. We would talk about civil liberties, the potential of governmental abuse and all of this. Oh, and sure. some people, some people would be like, yeah, I know it's fucking bullshit. But then other people would be like, ah, come on. It's like, they're not going to do that. They're not going to just ugh. like, they would ha probably have to get a warrant and a judge would probably have to, okay, it'd be this whole thing. But then we had COVID. And we saw how abusive and tyrannical the government could get overnight with the agreement yeah. of the populace because they got scared. Be and if and, it would save only one life. Right. Well, think about and, it. How, how many lives are going to be saved by mandating this in vehicles? Well, and, you and, think, I, Do you think they're going to stop? It's like, oh, if I, have, I just have an old car that doesn't have these new systems. That makes me safe. Well, you're not I allowed to drive that car anymore. Be, yeah. You're no longer allowed, those cars can, are no longer allowed to be registered unless you get a retrofit box in there. Yeah, as that, part of your safety inspection. Mm -hmm, because it's for safety. Yeah. And I've seen, and now we know there is the ideas of safety are absolutely going to absolutely do get abused. And that's a good place to be. It's a good argument to make. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, it, it fits for the argument of it hasn't gotten bad enough. Well, now when we talk about the violation of your civil li civil liberties by an out-of-control government, mm -hmm. we're able to point at COVID and go, but look at what they did. And everybody goes, yeah. oh, yeah. And it's like, would they abuse this? Would they be petty? Would the Karens become in charge of everything? Yeah, the answer is yes, and you saw it. So to be fair, it's not a terrible thing when people say it just hasn't gotten bad enough to wake people mm -hmm. up. Because like now when we talk about this kill switch, all you have to do is say, if this existed during COVID, how would they have used it? And everyone knows how they would have. There would have at a minimum been people advocating that the kill switch be engaged on all of the cars because people yeah. shouldn't be driving. It's too unsafe. Oh my gosh. At a minimum or at a well, maximum. If you deviate, mm -hmm. if you deviate from the path from your house to the Walmart, uh, it'll turn off because you're clearly not doing, you're clearly going somewhere you're not supposed to. Yeah. You're not going to go visit friends. Are you? You can't oh do my that. God. It's COVID. Or it's even scary. better, we learned, like the, uh, remember contact tracing? Oh, yeah. Over COVID? Uh -huh. Where they basically said, ah, uh, we can use your cell phone data and trace where you've been, and then, then we'll just know who's been exposed. But places like the UK were using that information to essentially prosecute people for violating the lockdowns. Right. And you, I think, I guarantee that would be misused. Oh, we saw that you drove here um, by the uh, big network system. Yeah, you're getting a fine for breaking the lockdown. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, the police are in route. <laughs> yeah, I like it. HR Cynicals oh. like, expect someone to reverse engineer the kill switch boxes and uh, sell fake ones or sabotage kits. Like, oh, uh, for 100%. sure, that's definitely that definitely would be the way to go. Yeah, it is just a, it's one of those many things where you're like, it's just egregious that we even would have to do that. <laughs> 
you just end up proxying it to your neighbor's car. So you're driving around and every time they try to shut you down, it pings his car. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I won't start again. <laughs> you just run a redirect. <laughs> That'd be so fucking funny. Like, it wouldn't be funny, but it'd be hilarious. Because, like, like my car be never hilarious. works. You know, like, it's because I keep drunk driving. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you don't need to drive that far. Take the bus. Oh, yeah, that was like, oh, sir, it looks like you drove from this location to this location. Uh, but our records indicate you could have taken mass transport. So uh, here's a ticket. Yeah. Oh, and people would absolutely do that. Um, it, mm -hmm. that it's an obsessive thing here in uh, northern Virginia <clears throat> that like basically anything that's good for cars, all the eco freaks start rushing out and uh, like they don't care. They're like, no, shut it down because more people should be biking. Oh, just take just take the metro so you can watch a bum masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> But you don't. But don't defend yourself on a metro. Isn't that something that happened in New York this week? A, a guy yeah. pulled a gun on a bum that was trying to assault a woman, and he got in trouble for it. Yeah, and then the uh, lady who was being assaulted said, "I really wish he hadn't have pulled a gun. That was scary." Oh, it was actually more scary than this guy trying to grab my cooter. <laughs> well, see, that's uh, that's something that is this sort of anarcho tyranny that if well, so like. Why don't more people stop these things? Why don't more people stand up? Well, when I see what happens to the people that stand up and try to protect every other people, it doesn't make me feel all that good about being a concerned citizen. Being a good Samaritan only nets you a, j a charge by the DA. Yeah. I mean, I guess at this point now, you know, you have to kind of gauge the politics and if a woman's being assaulted... By a random bum, you may have to just look at her and say, well, you get what you vote for. I'm not going to jail for you. Bye. Yeah, or just make sure that you kill the guy and flee the scene. <laughs> Leave no witnesses. I mean, that's true. That That's the, uh, <laughs> that's the moral decision. <laughs> you stop the assault, but you also don't get in trouble for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the more moral decision is to kill the dude and run. Or, or mean, we just have to, we, let's be honest, and I don't know all the particulars of this story, uh, but I imagine the guy's white. So, um, yes, he is. Yeah, per, perhaps we just need to get more um, uh, vigilante, more good Samaritan brown people, because then the DA won't chase after them to prosecute. <laughs> well, they just have internalized white supremacy at that point, which might yeah. even be a criminal offense anymore. I don't know. It probably It's probably a hate crime. Like, um <laughs> <laughs> there's there's going to end up being some Uncle Tom legislation passed in New yeah. York. Oh, hey, speaking yeah. of which, though, um, things are getting remarkably better. Uh, you know, oh. when we talk about uh, cities that are descending into uh, absolute hellscapes, uh, San Francisco has been absolutely cleaned up and freed of bums. Oh, that's good. That's be always good to know. Good because to Xi Jinping is coming. Oh, the president of China. Yeah, the Great. president of China is coming. So uh, San Francisco cleaned up its streets and got rid of all the bums. And in fact, will like heavily prosecute people um, if they if they uh, do anything untoward along the route with which uh, Xi Jinping is going to be, um, which makes a lot of sense because I don't know about you, but when my boss's boss is coming into an area, I'm going to make sure it's clean and looks nice. 
I think that's that's only prudent, really, is what it is. That's the, that's a prudent and smart decision. <laughs> so that, that's that's why San Francisco's cleaning up so much because the guy who pays the bills is about to show up. <laughs> so you know they're like, oh shit, President Biden's having his boss over for dinner. We better clean the streets. Well, it just goes to show you that all of this urban decay is is a choice. We don't need to have bums on the street. We could just fix that, but. It's a choice that we are yeah. we're making. The cities being dirty and crime infested is a choice, and it's not an eventuality. Look at that! Yeah, how amazing! All all mm-hmm. it takes is a Chinese dictator visiting. Um, you know. Yeah, like, they want to look good for the communists. We could have gotten rid of all the homeless in downtown if we just chose to. We could have stopped all the crimes. Like, how many people have gotten murdered that didn't need to get murdered? How many assaults um, have happened? All of them. Yeah. I mean, you look at that. Uh, El Salvador recently got a new president who's a horrible fascist dictator, I'm told. Uh, but he basically just said, yeah, if you're doing the doing all criminal activity or all this uh, gang violence, yeah, we're just going to arrest every single one of those people and throw them in jail. Oh, and my God. But what about their human like rights? Yeah. It's like, yep, we're just get everyone we know that's a criminal. Uh, they're now in jail. Murder rates dropped some huge percentage just overnight. And you're like, oh. Oh wait, it's really it's literally that easy. We just need to put criminals in jail and then we don't have crime. It's not socioeconomic factors at all. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, it's easier in El Salvador to do something like that because then nobody's going to cry about the racial disparity. Well, that's true. You know. So, no one's going to call him a racist. So it's okay. <laughs> They're just going to say he's violating human rights. But what? nobody actually like gives okay. a shit about it. You know, I just you know. Hold on. I just looked this up. I yeah. am shocked that about the El Salvador murder rate. So yeah. in 2015, the murder rate in El Salvador was 103 murders, 103 homicides per 100,000 inhabitants. Okay. In 2022, after the anti-crime push by their new president, it's now eight. 103 homicides per 100,000 inhabitants to eight homicides per 100,000 inhabitants. It sounds like you fixed the problem. Yeah. Wow. That was, that was easy. Because I've seen the videos where people are like, they show the, the gang prisons. Mm -hmm. And I think it's El Salvador where they're like running them with their hands on their head and stuff. And people Mm -hmm. are like, yeah, this is what we need to do. But then you see like the leftists are like, this is like, so, it's so wrong and evil. And it's like, yeah, these are the, like, let's be honest, man. This is like South South and Central America are horrible. Like these gang members will slit someone's throat and leave them in the street stripped naked and dead. Yeah. And then everyone's like, it's mean that you're making them run with their hands on their head. And surrounding them with shot. Like, yeah, these are like. I don't, these are murderers. Yeah, these are awful, deranged people with no moral conscience. I, I kind of also feel like, why even put them in jail? It's like, wow. at this point, there's there's part of me that kind of feels like, why not just summarily execute all of these people and then they're just gone? What's the utility of keeping them around? Why even, think, why even have prisons? I think what they should do is they should claim that they're pro-Palestinian then they can kill them all and none of the human rights organizations will complain. And in fact, they'll probably celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Probably. Because that's okay. Then they don't even have to be armed. 
Ooh, good good idea. Mm-hmm. That would definitely that would be that would, I think you're on to something. That's how you get around the NGOs and the human rights organizations is you're like, "Oh, he was Hamas and he was going after our Jewish border guard." <laughs> so we shot him and they'll say you did a good thing. You helped you helped end anti-Semitism. Um Yes, I'm being kind of a dick, but also not really though. <laughs> so I mean, it, it it mostly is with that. There is absolutely a double standard, like many things that when you point it out and you go, it's impossible not to see how much of a double standard there is. Yeah, and that kind of tells you something about the anybody who is concerned about all oh, cluster munitions and white phosphorus being used against civilians, a war crime. Oh, but Israel's doing it against Palestinians. Actually, that's heroic and brave, stunning and brave of them to do that. So it's all, you never, it, it exposes the, you never actually cared about this. You were just complaining because you thought it hurt the people you didn't like. Right. Right. Well, and then, yeah, and that's the, um, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the hilarious part of it. And it, it does, it gets, it gets very frustrating and very annoying because all of a sudden, all of these like liberal groups and these globalist groups are suddenly concerned about immigration. <laughs> And you're like, oh, fuck you. Yeah. Like, it's so hard not to be mad about it. It's so hard not to just get pissed. Like, it's it's almost as if they're doing it just to piss us off. I mean, so. pissing us off is something that they do really enjoy. Okay. And they know when they do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then you... you <laughs> it's just... I don't know. The whole thing is... It, it's... it's it's bananas. We live in a hellscape sometimes. Um, mostly because of progressivism. I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes you just have to call it like it is. But uh, I'm trying to think. There's Unfortunately, we're, we're coming up. We only have a couple minutes left in the program. There is one story real quick uh, that I want to hit. I want to make sure that we do it, which is that um, the United Kingdom uh, is, has decided in the weirdest situation... There's an eight-month-old baby girl that has a genetic um, genetic disease, and the mm-hmm. parents uh, were, you know, trying to figure out what to do because in the UK they were like, "Well, look, man, there's no hope for her, so we're going to stop giving her any sort of life support because she has to be like on a ventilator and stuff like that." And um, <clears throat> the uh, parents, of course, were like, "Could you please not kill our baby?" And mm-hmm. uh, there is a hospital in Italy that has offered to take the eight-month-old girl and uh, to bring her over into into Rome. Um, and the there's a doctor that's offering to do uh, what I what I think is an experimental surgery uh, to see whether or not he can help. And the Prime Minister of Italy, who I'm told is a fascist, um, Maloney, has said that at no charge. To UK taxpayers whatsoever, Italy will gr- gladly pick up the bill for this baby girl. Just let her be transported to Italy, and it won't be the UK's problem any longer. And for some weird reason, both a regular court and an appellate court in the United Kingdom said, Nope, the baby has to die. <laughs> yeah. So they just said, Listen, you guys can do literally nothing. It'll be absolutely nothing. No problem for you just let us trans just hey we're we want to transport this baby girl to italy where we'll try and do a life-saving surgery and the uk government but no it's we have to expend a bunch of resources to make sure that this baby dies yeah yeah like in 
And it's super weird. Like, they're super intent on it. Is it's just, nope, the baby has to die. But And mm-hmm. here's the real problem. The problem is, what happens if the baby lives and this surgery is successful? Well, um, well mm-hmm. then the National Health Service of the UK looks real bad. And the mm. UK government has to answer to its own citizens of, yeah, the reason, yeah, we're not going to save your child if it gets sick because it's expensive. Yeah. So you have to. So if you want your baby to live, you're going to have to flee to a foreign country where they'll do a life-saving surgery. And the UK government, I think, doesn't want that embarrassment, and so they're going to kill a baby to ensure that the government and NHS doesn't get bad press. Well, that and certainly so, you know, fascist Italy isn't allowed to save a child's life with their damn pro-life messaging. Right. Because, you know, it's the Vatican that's, uh, you know, covering it down. Those those jerks. So mm-hmm. it's like, unfortunately, for the, uh, polit- but for the public relations of progressivism, this baby has to die. Yeah. Which, there's also another element... I'm sure if this baby was born to Pakistani Muslims in mm. the UK and the, and a hospital in Pakistan said we will take this baby, I think that none of this would happen and the US go- and the UK government would assent. I think it's because this baby is a white British baby, they're that's why they feel comfortable digging in their heels because they're like, yeah, we can do this. No one's we don't have to worry about the public relations nightmare of this. The citizens of the UK are second class citizens anyway. Yeah, the, those gross Catholics. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to have to be it for this week. Now, remember, you guys can pick us up every single Sunday where we stream live from noon until 2 Eastern. You can also check us out on any podcatching device that you would like. You can also become a subscriber at subscribestar.com forward slash wrongthinkradio, where for two ninety nine a month, you can help sponsor this program, get access to our Discord, and go all over the place, which our Discord's extremely active and also helps shape the show. So it's always a good discussion out there. A lot of really good discussion in the chat of people kind of going back and forth and some people kind of misunderstanding our uh, sense of humor, which is really funny to watch. Um, But it'll be all right. We're going to be back next week on Sunday to bring you guys more of our analysis and see what kind of shit show we're going to get ourselves into um, with all the post uh, post election analysis that's going to continue as well as some of the polls that are come out from the most recent debate i want to see how preference polls change and whether or not donald trump runs away with it once again like what happens after every single debate but i'm aaron from the east coast i'm alan from the west coast this is wrong think radio see you all next week